Morning, Love Chapel Hill. Yeah. We're going to begin today in prayer, um, and we're going to pray for the community of Buffalo, New York. And I'm sure many of you have already heard about what happened yesterday. If you haven't, um, a tragedy that took place yesterday, uh, a mass shooting that was local police are confirming was driven by racism and white supremacist ideology of the shooter. And people of color intentionally targeted. And so we're going to pray, okay? Because it's another one of those moments where we don't have words for this. We don't have the things to say. We don't know exactly what to do. Um, but we can pray. And that's where we start. And then we ask the Holy Spirit in our prayers to form us into the answers to those prayers. And to teach us and to show us what we can do and how we can act to bring about the kind of life that stands as resistance to that and that stands as the opposite of that. And so we think about the reality of what took place in a grocery store as people are going about mundane daily life, preparing for the week ahead of them, and a grocery store and a parking lot become this small place that points to this much larger and deeper tragedy in our world, more specifically in our own country and society here. And in the same way that something as small as a grocery store and a parking lot become this picture of something that's so much deeper and larger, we're praying that something as small as a gathering of a local church multiplied thousands of times over across our country could become a symbol of something larger and deeper in the opposite direction. And so let's pray together for that and ask the Holy Spirit to bring healing and ask the Holy Spirit to bring direction and ask the Holy Spirit to strengthen us as a community to stand as resistance, opposition, counter vision of what that looks like in the world. Jesus, we pray for your healing today for the people of Buffalo. We pray specifically for the families who are grieving and mourning the senseless loss of life. And the added layer of pain that comes from the reality that it was not random. It was directed. And so we pray for your healing. For the pain that those families are experiencing. For the pain that that community is experiencing. We pray against the reality of racism, the reality of white supremacist ideology, 
that when we look at something so illogical as an event like this, when you trace it back to its roots, you realize that is the conclusion, that is the overflow, that is the outcome of such an evil rootedness of that ideology. So utterly twisted and wrong. And so we pray against that. And we pray that you would make us a church who lives against that. Not just in moments when it becomes so abundantly clear, but in each moment as a church family and community together. We pray specifically for our friends who are there. We pray for Pastor Elijah Shaminda, who planted a church in Buffalo, who has been a part of this church, visited here. We prayed over him. We've supported him. Some people still are standing behind him, even to this day. He's a friend. And even though he's handed the ministry of that church over to someone else, he is feeling the burden and the pain of that today. So we pray for our friend Elijah and his family. We pray for our friend, Pastor Tim DePorter, who is Elijah's close friend that he handed that ministry over to, who is a friend of ours. We pray for Pastor Tim and his family and his church family today, Resurgent City. We ask that you would be with them as they grieve and as they question, and that your presence would embrace them. And we ask that you would fill them with such, with your radical love, that they would become a channel of your love in that community and a channel of healing. We pray for our friend, Pastor Kim Gladden, who pastors a church in that community. We thank you for her friendship to us and her leadership. And we pray that you would be close to her this morning. In texting with her, and she says that she lives just down the street from where this took place, that she's frequently in that same grocery store. Pray, we pray for the trauma associated around that today as well as she tries to lead her people through this. So we pray for our friends. We pray for those churches. We pray for that community. We pray for those families. And we pray for your healing. pray for enemies. And we would ask, we ask that you would make us a picture of your radical love that stands opposite of that.
It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, if you need to talk with someone about that, then please don't hesitate to reach out. We want to be here and to help people walk through these times. Good, Wes? Okay. All right. Thank you, Wes. All right. We're going to be in Psalm 1 today. I don't know how you, I don't know how to, I don't know how you move on. We don't move on. I don't know how you keep going. Um, but we're going to press into the word today. Okay. Out of not knowing what else to do, we're going to keep pressing into the word today. So we are in Psalm 1, and uh, that's where we're going to be putting down our roots today in the word. Um, this is one of our core passages as a church that over almost 13 years of being together and gathering together in worship, this is one of those passages that has shaped us, formed us, that we continue to come back to um, that is building us as a people. And so this has been a prayer over us as a church, and I want to pray this over us today as well. So receive this word as a prayer, and then we're going to dig into it together. Psalm 1. Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law, they meditate day and night. They are like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Jesus, help us as we dive into your word today. We know that you are the living word. And we just pray that you would root us in you, that you would teach us what it means to live in you, to be rooted in you, to bear fruit in you, to abide in you. And we pray that we would become and continue to become ongoing. The kind of church that looks like this, the kind of people together that look like this and that bear the fruit of your spirit in this world. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, they say that the best preachers will use a clear illustration to help make sense of the word so that it can be easily grasped. 
Couldn't pull off the stream, though. All right, sorry about that. A tree planted. Keep this in mind as we keep going through this. Yeah, Paul. Keep this in mind as we keep going through this today, okay? So we know we've talked about this before, and um, can I give this away, Justin? Yeah? All right. Justin is the man. As we look forward into the summer, Justin's going to be leading us through a series in the Psalms, okay? So um, get ready for that, all right? And you're going to hear more about that and layered uh, teaching it, that goes a lot further than where we're going to get today, okay? But we know together that the Psalms are, are these, these, this collection of poems, of songs, of prayers that formed the people of Israel. These psalms that are written over the course of time, uh, written by multiple different authors uh, for different purposes, but collected together in this poetic collection that becomes this shaping, forming prayer book for the people of Israel. It taught them how to make sense of their experience with God. And it's a reflection of their experiences with God as a people. Songs, prayers for worship, expressions of their experience with God. Goes across the full scope and spectrum of human experience and human emotion. Wherever you are today, there is a psalm that connects with where you are. And as you read through the Psalms, you'll see that raw, honest, brutally honest about the human experience and the full scope from praising God, from encouraging the people, expressing lament, expressing anguish, exp expressing doubt and anger, every human emotion and experience all wrapped up together in the book of Psalms as they express their experience with God as a people. And yet this entire collection begins with this psalm here set at the front, this masterpiece poem set at the front. And scholars believe that Psalm 1 uh, isn't just a, a, not just randomly chosen to be the first psalm here, all right, because it was written first or whatever else reason, but that it stands here as an intentional introduction to the rest of the collection. That it stands as kind of this preface to the rest of the collection. And that as you go through that full scope of human experience and human emotion, as you go through that full scope of this journey in the life of God, this is the end goal. And also this sense that if you will stay rooted in him, if you will be this kind of person, planted and rooted in him, then whatever emotion you experience, whatever scope you walk through, you will remain because you will be rooted in him. So it sets it up right at the beginning as this sense of an introduction, as this picture, this overarching picture of what life in God looks like, of what it looks like to root yourself beside the stream of water, which represents the presence of the Spirit of God, as we draw on that for a flourishing kind of life. So that's what this picture is about. And the poet paints this really sharp and yet beautiful contrast 
between these two possible ways to live, all right? And lays that out for us at the beginning. Gives us these contrasting and competing visions for a way of life. Sets a choice before us right at the beginning of this collection of Psalms and asks us this question of which path are you going to take? Will you live the life of a person who's planted by streams of water, drawing that flourishing life from the stream, bearing the fruit of that in your life? Or will you choose the other path that ends up looking like chaff? We're going to get into the competing images there. Jesus does the same thing all the way through his teachings. He's consistently painting these pictures and showing us two ways to live, especially in the Sermon on the Mount. And as you get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you can feel it building to this conclusion as he does this again and again. He talks about two roads, the narrow road versus the broad path. He talks about two kinds of trees. He talks about two kinds of homes, one built on the sand, one built on the rock. And he's intentionally showing these contrasting images and competing visions of life and challenging us with the question, which path are you going to take? And that's how the book of Psalms opens up as well. So the, po the poet is painting two pictures here. Uh, the first is what it looks like to walk, to sit, and to stand in the way of wickedness, all right? Walk, sit, stand. You can see that progression happening, and this is poetry, so every word is intentional here, all right? And the use of that imagery is on purpose, to paint a picture in our minds, to walk, to stand, and to sit. Did I get that in the right order the first time? I might have messed that order up. Walk, stand, sit, all right? That's the order that he gives it in here and it's on purpose. You can see that progression of this settling in from walking to standing to sitting. It's this progression of getting settled and of getting stagnant in this way of life. And it tells us that it leads to this life of being like chaff. But the opposite vision we're given is one that is rooted and planted. So if you're like me, you're pausing right there and you're like, wait a second. Actually being rooted and planted seems more stagnant and seems more settled than walk, stand, and sit, right? At least from sitting, you can get up and then walk again, okay? But in rooted, you're there. You're in place. But the difference here is that with this image of being rooted, you become open to the possibility of growth of season after season of growth, of being alive, of bearing fruit, of the leaves on the branches, of the roots moving deeper, of the reach going further. And you're being brought into this flourishing life that can stand the test of time. Versus that image of the person that walks, that stands, that sits, that becomes settled, that becomes stagnant in that other way of life and gets referred to as chaff. So the image of a planted tree versus chaff is intended to be really stark. We might not get that from, you know, anybody here a farmer? Nope. All right. Okay. In this day and time, it's such an agricultural society and community. They get this image right off the bat. And they know that one of the ways in which the harvesting of the wheat took place 
is that the, the process of, of separating the wheat from the chaff, the wheat that is good and that is weighty and that is usable, the chaff that is useless, all right, and you want to get rid of it. One of the ways that they would do that is once the wheat was harvested, they would take the, the grains of wheat, they would toss them into the air, and because they are heavier than chaff, they would fall back down to the ground in place. But because the chaff is so light and so lacking in substance, the wind would carry the chaff away. And so that's how you separate it. You toss it into the air, the wheat comes back to the ground, the chaff gets carried away by the slightest blowing of the breeze. And that's the image here. A tree that can stand the test season after season, exposed to the elements yet still standing strong versus the chaff that gets moved and blown away by the slightest breeze. So how do we stay rooted? How do we take this into a practical kind of level for us? And admittedly, poetry is not meant to be practical. All right, so most poetry, you're not looking for that. But the poet here does give us a very practical way to do this, a practical way to be rooted in life. And the poet tells us that the way to do this is to meditate on the word of God. It says this kind of person meditates on the word, on the law, and in this setting, the, the law of God is referring to the scriptures. In our Christian setting, we often set the law up against grace. Okay, we set God's law up against grace, and we say we're not bound to that, but we're set free by grace, and we put this competing kind of image. And yes, we don't want to live legalistic lives. We are free in grace. But what we're getting at here in the Psalms, when it talks about the law, it's not talking about this legalistic bound up kind of life. It's talking about celebrating the word of God. Okay, so that's what's being illustrated here. Uh, in fact, the longest of all of the Psalms, uh, Psalm 119, is dedicated to the law. And it's this beautiful poem that just talks about the beauty of the law over and over again. It talks about the law of God, the word of God, like honey on our lips, like being a wide open field in which we run in freedom. So that's the picture that's getting painted through the Psalms here of the word. And this poet says that the way to stay rooted, the way to be rooted in the life of God is to meditate on the word, to meditate on the word day and night. We understand that Jesus himself is the word made flesh to be rooted in Christ, to meditate on the beauty of who he is, to meditate on the way that he carves out and lays out for us. To keep our minds and our hearts and our souls engaged with him. That is the practical way. It's a description here, but it gives us a prescription for what the flourishing life can look like. Now, for us in our culture, when we think about meditate, uh, we might think about memorizing a passage of scripture. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to memorize this thing and I'm going to get it down. And once I memorize that, I'm going to move to the next one and memorize that one and see how much I can get committed to memory, and that's how we think about often engaging with the Word, but that's not what 
the, the writer here is talking about. That's a Western way that we approach the word. But in this culture, instead, what we're getting here is not just memorizing it and kind of conquering it, but instead meditate. There's a, there's a vast difference here. And when we talk about meditating, we're talking about dwelling in, dwelling on it until we come to dwell in it. Okay, to dwell on the word until we come to dwell in the word and the word begins to dwell in us. Okay, the language here is the same as, uh, this is going to get a little bit gross for a second, okay. But it's the same as um, what happens with the way that a cow eats its food. All right, anybody familiar with that? Okay. Say it, say it again, Demont regurgitate exactly what's that process like demont that's it that's let's give it up for demont thank you sir and for demont's dog mona lisa who is here with us thank you mona lisa all right she's like who's talking what's going on all right so that's exactly right this sense of regurgitating. A cow will chew its food. Bear with me for a second, all right? Will chew its food, swallow it, and then do what with it? Bring it back up. <laughs> and chew on it some more, swallow it, bring it back up, and chew on it some more. Andrew's getting really disturbed. I see that look on your face. All right. This is, this is what we're getting at here. This is the intentional imagery of meditate in this culture, to dwell on it, to let it sink down, to bring it back, dwell on it again, over and over, turn this over and over and over in our minds until it sinks down into our hearts, until it takes root in our souls, until it begins to work its way out of our lives and into the world through the small, common, everyday acts of who we are. That's what we're being challenged towards here. The, in the Hebrew, the same word for meditation sometimes gets translated as imagine or plot or conspire. And I don't know about you, but I'm not real comfortable associating scripture with imagine, plot, and conspire, okay? But it's the same word. Why? Because think about the connection between those words. Imagine, plot, conspire in all of those situations you get this thought in your mind that you hold in your mind and you turn it over again and again and again and you explore all of the possibilities and sometimes it feels like it gets stuck there right and you're turning it over again and again and you're exploring all of the avenues of it and all of the possibilities of it and that's the same thing that's happening when we're meditating on the word we turn it over again and again we explore oh, i'm so sorry sam sam's gonna have a lot of trouble as he comes back and tries to piece this together all right sorry buddy but that's what's happening here we come back to it we chew on it and then we chew on it some more meditation is not emptying your mind okay in some traditions that's what meditation means but in the jewish tradition of engaging with scripture and in the Christian tradition of engaging with scripture meditation is not about emptying your mind it's about filling your mind it's about dwelling on it until it dwells in you and you dwell in it 
Meditation is letting scripture run through your mind until it sinks into your heart, takes root in your soul, and escapes into the world around us through the small and common acts of our lives. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was this kind of person. All right? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a tree planted by streams of water. He was a German theologian and professor who, in the buildup of Nazi Germany, of the Nazi regime, was given an opportunity to escape. And he was given a job as a professor in America, and he came here and escaped that. And as soon as he get, got here, he had to turn back around. He was completely unsettled in his spirit, and he says, I cannot be here while my people are there. I must go back, and I must stand as a resistance against what is building there. And that's exactly what he did. And even as much of the German church looked the other way and became complicit in the atrocities of the Nazi regime, he stood as a voice of resistance and as a life of resistance, not chaff blown by the breeze, but a tree planted. And as a result, just months before the end of World War II and the liberation that came, his life was cut down. He died, he lost his life standing as a tree rooted. Here's what he has to say about the power of meditation, and it's a life we should listen to. He says, in meditation, God's word seeks to enter in and to remain with us. It strives to stir us. It strives to work and to operate in us, not us striving, not us working and operating, but the word doing that work in us so that we shall not get away from it the whole day long. Then it will do its work in us, often without our being conscious of it. Cool. Yeah. Yes. Yes, Cole. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much. That's, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Cole said it reminds him of Jesus' parable of the seeds, of the sower who is going out and throwing out the seed, and the seed is falling on these different kinds of ground. Yep, there's the stony ground. Uh, there's the shallow ground. Uh, and ultimately... There is the fertile ground, the, the soil that is prepared to receive the seed of the word. And it has the opportunity to take root. Beautiful. Thank you. Come on. Come on, Cole. Come on. So good. And Cole's got his dog with him, too. Give it up for Cole and Gizmo today. All right. Anybody else with a dog got something to share? Come on. That's where the insight's coming from. I love it. Beautiful. Thank you. So good. So good. Keep throwing that out, y'all. If you've got something to add to this, this is a community thing. Let's go. I love it. Beautiful. Here's a challenge for each of us, okay? 
as we're going into a new season together and as summer is approaching, we're coming in, we're in spring and summer is approaching. I want to challenge each of us. And this is overlapping with where Justin's going to be taking us to this summer. I want to challenge you to prayerfully choose a passage of scripture that you will meditate on throughout this next season. To prayerfully choose a passage of scripture that you will meditate on throughout this next season. If you need some more narrow direction on that, please reach out and let's talk about that. Uh, you may want to intentionally focus on the Gospels and maybe intentionally focus on the words of Jesus himself in the Gospels. Maybe it's a parable. Maybe it's a, a part of his teaching. Maybe it's a section from the Sermon on the Mount. You'll remember last year's Lent, we did that together. And we memorized, but not just memorized, we meditated on throughout Lent so that in our fasting, we were also feasting on that word. So I want to challenge you to do that. Choose a passage of scripture that will be a, a framework for you for the summer. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you in that, okay? And if you want more direction and maybe some help finding a passage that is for you, then let's talk about that, okay? Uh, for some of you, it may need to be something that is a recentering, that is an encouragement, that is an anchor of hope. All right. So good. For others, you might need something that is a direct critique and challenge. That you feel like the Holy Spirit is calling you to come face to face with a direct critique and challenge of where you are and some areas of, of how you think and how you live. Maybe that's the direction for you. Let's talk about that together. And I want to challenge you throughout this next season to embody. Yes, sir, Ricky. A Love Chapel Hill trip? That's a good question. We need a Love Chapel Hill trip. I love it. I don't know, Ricky. Let's, let's think about something together, okay? In the park, there you go. And probably the lake, I bet there'll be a lake day and other things like that coming up, so. Yeah, let's go. All right, awesome. Thank you, Ricky, great idea, sweet. So I wanna challenge you to do that, okay? Root yourself, root yourself. And that's a very practical way, find a single plot of fertile soil. Like Cole said, ask the Holy Spirit to turn the soil of your heart over and over to prepare you for that seed to take root and to grow and to multiply in you. Psalm 1 stands as a prayer. We've prayed this over this church from our earliest days. We were drawn to this passage in our first year of meeting together and we've come back to it time and time again, much like that image of meditation, of turning it over again and again and again. And we're just getting started in that and what it looks like to be a rooted people. So this stands as a prayer over us. And uh, it's my prayer for you as a church to continue to live into this. 
Uh, it overlaps with several of our other core passages. And looking back on that, we can see how the Holy Spirit was working to bring these passages together, to form this soil together. Isaiah chapter 61. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. That's who we've prayed to be from the very start. The beautiful words of Jesus and vision of Jesus in John chapter 15 is last night with his disciples as they're around the table and he begins to paint this image for them. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it might be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you, or abide in me as I abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you, if you do not abide in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now abide in my love. The Apostle Paul, writing in the book of Ephesians in chapter 3, says, I pray that out of the glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Beautiful images that have been painted for us. We get it all the way from the book of Genesis in the image of the garden all the way to the book of Revelation and the image of the final restoration of all things. All things healed. All things healed. And in that image of Revelation, we get something that looks so similar to Psalm 1. And we're told that there will be trees that line the stream, that bear fruit in every season, that the leaves will not wither, and the leaves are for the healing of the nations. That's where you're headed. That's where we're all headed. That's what the restoration is going to look like. But he's already beginning his work here and now. You are a people planted, oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor, like a tree planted by streams of water. Wrapping up here, 
The image of the tree like that, of a strong tree, yeah, that might be intimidating, okay? We might look at our life right now and even look at this tree behind us and we think about how long it took to get to this point. And we think about how far we have to go before we look anything like a tree planted by streams of water. And that can be intimidating for us. I'm so glad that Cole brought out what he did because that's another image that Jesus intentionally gives us full of grace is the image not just of a tree fully developed and mature season after season rooted by the stream, but he also gives us the image of a seed. And he says that's what the kingdom looks like. And it's something that is so small and yet it's full of the potential of all of the kingdom of God. And that's who we are together. That's who we are together. Thinking about this and thinking of a, maybe an image that's not quite as intimidating. I think about the image of the seed. And I think about even something as simple as an apple. Right? Everyday life. Part of our everyday life. Something we don't really think about too much. But even in the symbol of an apple, we get something that we can maybe grasp a little bit better than a tree like this. And I think about the reality that you can count the amount of seeds in an apple. You cannot count the apples in a seed, right? You have no clue what is possible there in that one single seed. We know that we can find an apple in an orchard, but we often forget the reality that we can find an orchard inside of an apple. So maybe it's something as small as that, but don't lose the fact of the potential, the kingdom potential that he has planted inside each and every one of us. This is his dream for you. This is his vision for your life, to become like that. Like a tree planted. We know that the tree doesn't prosper because of its own strength, because of its own stress, because of its own striving. It prospers because it's rooted in the heart and the mind of God. It's drawing life from the fertile soil of grace and from the stream that runs by it, that feeds the life into it. We know that this verse does not promise at all that the tree is protected from the elements, but is exposed to the elements. And yet it's the roots that go down deep into that soil of grace, that draw life from that stream of the Spirit, that hold this tree in place no matter what comes against it. The, the beauty of that imagery of the streams of water, we know all the way through Scripture, this is spiritually significant, and that image of rivers and streams points to the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Spirit for the good of the world around you. Amen. We come to the table today and we remember Jesus around that table with his disciples and his prayer for them and his challenge to them and his hope for them. 
as he took the bread that was on the table, this familiar symbol that had been a part of the rhythm of their lives over and over again, and he infuses a new meaning into it. As he takes the bread and he says, this bread is my body, broken to make you whole. And then he took the cup that was on the table. And he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. My blood poured out for the redemption of the world. Every time you share in this meal together, remember what I have done and remember who you are because of it. So today we get to share in this meal once again. And Bob and Vicki will be serving you today as you come forward. We invite you to are you the bread? receive a piece of the bread that has been torn off for you and then to dip it into the cup to taste and see that the Lord is good. We want to continue to remember our respect for each other uh, through this. And uh, so we ask that you dip only the bread into the cup. All right. And make sure that that stays there. Okay. As we share in this together, we remember him and we experience him in a fresh way again. His love, his body broken, his blood poured out and our redemption that comes because of it. Amen.